Welcome to Identity Talk, a show dedicated to unearthing stories about compelling people, doing compelling things, and making compelling discoveries about who they are. I'm Jana Lopez, your hostess. Each episode of Identity Talk, you'll discover illuminating conversations with guests from all walks of life. My life's mission as a book coach, writing guide, and retreat leader is to guide people like you towards clarity and connection through writing. I blend experience and intuition to take your writing to unimaginable results in your creativity and productivity. I offer private and small group retreats in stunning Santa Fe, New Mexico. I'm the published author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Selfie, and I. If it's time to unearth your own stories, write that book and need clarity, guidance, or support, visit JanaLopez.com. And now, let the unearthing of stories begin on Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Good afternoon and good morning and or good evening, depending on where in the world you are and where you're listening right now. Uh, This is Jana Lopez, hostess of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez, and I'm very, very excited for today's guest, Jane Drake Brody, an amazing actress, teacher, author, coach, creativity guide, so many fabulous things. We have lots to talk about. So welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, I wanted to uh, first, we'll just start off by saying that you have had the honor of being a part of Somebody Somewhere, the amazing show. Yes. And huge huge fan of the show. It's on HBO and season three. We're going into season three. I don't know if I'll be in it. Uh, The last, at the end of season two, they shipped me off to a nursing home or something. However, my man who played my husband on the show, Mike, um, passed away. And so they had to change the story. And I don't know whether I'll be in it or not. I, you know, now with all the strikes, uh, right. I won't know anything until all the strikes are over. Well, before we get into the show, because I want to dedicate so much time to the show, uh, let's just talk about you first and all, all these amazing creative endeavors that you are involved with. And so let's start off first with your desire to be an actor and where all that came up, because poking around a little bit into the backstory. I thought that was really interesting how that all came to be. So let's start with your desire to be an actor and how that came to be. Well, um, I came, I come from a, a, a musician family. My family, my my father's side is all musicians and performers. So it wasn't something that came out of the blue. Although my husband, my father uh, discouraged it greatly. He didn't want me to be uh, anything in, in show business. And yet I wanted to be, and I started also very young as a singer. He didn't like that either because that meant that I would be in show business. In any event, I was taken to see Hamlet and um, a Miracle Worker within a month of each other. 
when I was about 14, I suppose, and I was struck. It was it. When I saw Hamlet standing on that stage doing to be or not to be, it was like, that's for me. And then what I said about that. What do you imagine with that? It was about that that struck you personally. How did it touch you? It was so beautiful. OK, it was beautiful and awe inspiring. I don't know whether I knew what was going on. Right. I mean, I was young, but yeah. it, was, it was just I was so drawn to it. And then when we went to see the miracle worker, I actually saw that people of my age or people like me could actually be in a play. And you may or may not know, but Miracle Worker is just a wonderful play. Right. And I thought, oh yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I want to do. And I'd always been the, the person who got up in front of the, you know, class and during show and tell. And whether I had something to show or tell or not, I did. You know, I would make faces or do funny things, uh, whatever. I was just an entertainer. And so when I saw that there was a route and then I started reading as much as I could, there was no online, right? So you had to go to the library. Uh, right. And I was also in love with Judy Garland. So I had to go to the library to listen to her sing because I didn't have a phonograph. And so going to the library all the time and reading about things made me see that it was possible to be an actor and uh from then on, I was, that's what I did from the time I was 14 or so. I was in all the shows in, in uh, high school. And then there was a place at the Jewish Community Center in Milwaukee where that had a teenage um, theater troupe. And um, my mother, bless her soul, uh, was able to scrounge together enough money for me to attend the Jewish Center. And at the Jewish Center, there were a lot of people. Remember, this was like in 1960. There were people there who had been on Broadway and people who had given up their theatrical life to be in World War II. They were real actors and they had three or four theater groups there. One was all in Yiddish, uh, one was um, adults, and then um, my group, uh, Porter Youth Theater, and they gave us money and said, go do what you need to do. They didn't direct us or do anything. So. We made the costumes, we built the sets, we chose the scripts, we dealt with the publishers of scripts. Uh, you know, we did everything. And it made, I was very capable of doing those things. It's a long way on the bus, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> but I made it there and, and um, because our high school didn't have much, uh, but our, certainly that did. And when I was a senior in high school, I decided that the play they had chosen, <laughs> this is me, the play they had chosen for us to put on was not anything I thought was any good and nobody else did. So I decided that we would do Bye Bye Birdie. Uh, of course, I, I didn't have the rights, I didn't have the money, but we did it anyway. And I got all my friends together and we did it uh, on the high school stage. Um, and so I've always been rather entrepreneurial in those ways. Yeah, and I would say that most actors, actresses, people that I know that I would say are really dedicated and committed to the craft have had a background in theater. Unlike oh, yeah. some of the actors and actresses that I know that have been on television, 
that didn't have that background. There's a very uh, different sensibility. I'm not saying one is right or one is wrong. Right. But those that have had theater background really have a way to apply the craft of acting in yes. everything they do. Yes, yes. And, and to learn my craft was the thing I wanted most. Right. So, and I didn't, I mean, as I was rather poor. Um, and so to go to a school like Northwestern or Carnegie or any of the big theater schools, that was outside of my reach. Um, and so I just did what I could at the local community uh, high school, well, college rather, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, which was at the time a very tiny little place. And my acting teacher there saw how serious I was. She was like an 80 year old woman from England. And she encouraged me. And the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis was just opening. So she said, well, you should go there as if one could just walk up and say, <laughs> I'd like to act at your theater, please. And so, um, so I decided that I would uh, drop out of University of Wisconsin and save money and work so that I could go to the University of Minneapolis, Minnesota and be at the Guthrie. And oddly enough, finally, when I got there, I was, I did get to do a show at the Guthrie. It wasn't an official show. It was a show done by the graduate students who were part of the company at the Guthrie Theater, which is the one of the largest, most well-attended repertory theaters in the country. And I, and I was dating uh, a fellow and I could go to the rehearsals and I could watch Tyrone Guthrie, the, the master direct. And I could sit behind and watch and see what was going on. And how inspired. Oh, whenever I could, I would find it. Yeah. How inspired. I mean, I, I can't imagine sitting there in the theater watching it. My heart would be pounding. I would be I can feel how excited you are. It was it was stunning. Yeah. And, and I had always, been, I'm an eldest daughter from a rather poor family, as I said. So I was always uh, on my own. I was always, give me a dime, I'll go downtown. Um, you know, I didn't have a lot of, uh, parenting may not have been the same way it is now. They didn't have plans for me. Uh, they felt that I, my father said, well, you could be a nurse or a journalist. And I was writing for the school newspaper and I thought, well, that's nice, but a nurse, have you met me? I'm not going to be a nurse. And he didn't have any, he, because he was a male chauvinist, he didn't have any vision, uh, nor did he think one needed vision. Better than a secretary and a wife. Though. Right, that's right. That's, I mean, right. that's better. Well, I think, I, I think he felt that I would probably get married and forget all of that foolishness. Right. Um, but his, his sister had been a Miss America contestant and a singer with the big bands. And he had a band and his brother was in a band, I mean, real bands, uh, big, uh, big band kind of sounds. And so I learned all the music. So I made my way through college singing in nightclubs. That was how I made most of my money. Well, it feels like the way you describe that time for, uh, I feel like you, you can see that it was almost only yesterday. And at the same time that it was so long ago, because I feel this like, when you plug into the idea of sitting into the dark theater and being inspired watching him and all these actors come to life and, you know, actually seeing that something could be possible for yourself. It's fun to look back and see the parts of ourselves that still exist today. Right. Right. Because well, you're still a creator. I'm still the same girl. 
Yeah. I just got older <laughs> and wiser hope. Right. But I took every opportunity I could to act every I did summer theater and I did in the parks. They would tour the parks doing Pinocchio or things like that. So I did that. And I mean, I just if it was there, I'd do it. So, I had more energy than most people always have. Yeah. And, you know, with acting, I don't really know all the elements of it necessarily. I mean, I do it in my own way through writing. I think telling stories is at the heart of it and being able to embody and express stories. And eventually you were encapsulating the process, the psychology, the emotions, the dynamics, like there's so many elements to being an actor and you were able to articulate some of those in a couple of books. So what prompted you, what was the desire to take your wisdom and what you had learned from all of these experiences because you knew how much goes into being able to create these characters and bring these stories to life, whether it was theater or all the work that you had done. So how did you make that leap into that, that desire to share that and impart that and give that to others? Well, I think um, I've always been uh, someone that other actors would come to and ask how to do something. And I would just help as well as I could, but I've always been kind of a, an eldest daughter, uh, you know, the oldest girl in the family. And I think that that kind of mentorship leadership is a part of that birth order for me in any event. And I also felt that I had a way of expressing myself verbally that many other people don't have. I was very good at hitting the nail on the head and looking and, and saying what needed to be said, often without hurting someone's feelings. Because many people know what they're seeing and don't like it, but they don't know how to fix it or they don't know what it is. And I was able to articulate things. I read every acting book ever written. I, I, I think um, I had not very good teachers until I was much older. I was just going to ask you about that because so, yeah. yeah, I had to find them. I had to find mentors. And because I was such an independent person, I didn't look like I needed mentors. It yeah. wasn't adoptable. There's a lot of books out there about writing and, you know, I teach writing, but I don't always think that they're in the best interest of the people who want to write. Right. But sometimes the structures that are imposed by instructors or teachers, just because they're good at what they do, does not make them good teachers. Well, yes. Criticizing is not teaching. Right. It's two different skills. And because I had younger brothers and sisters and I had to teach in a way, I think that might be a part of it. Also, I, I have the capacity to take a large idea and break it down and give it to somebody in a way they can uh, tolerate it. And um, I also, when I'm watching an actor work, I'm not really watching, I'm in their body with them. That's where the neuroscience for me comes in. I was always wondering why I could teach acting. I didn't know. I, mean, I felt like I'd been hit on the head with a baseball bat and became an actor. I mean, it wasn't something that, uh, I don't know. I, I can watch an actor and feel them in my body. And, and so when I'm feeling them in my body, I have to step back for a minute and translate 
but I'm in the, I'm with them. I'm not standing back. Is that part of the reason why once you realize you had this gift or capacity that's just very unique and sensitive, which I understand because when I teach people about writing, I can feel where they are, why they're hung up, what it is they haven't yet expressed, where it is. I can see the whole landscape of it all. Yes. And that's part of my desire to teach is because I can take what's in them, digest it, translate it, give it back to them in a way that they can internalize and make meaning of. Well, I think that's our instincts. You know, I'm instinct, something that's inside of you. I have an instinct of what's going on with that other person. I also think I learned to watch very carefully because my husband, my father, I keep saying husband, what a horrible Freudian slip. (laughs) If you weren't careful, my father would just reach around and smack you one and you would, where'd that come from? So I think I watched him very carefully so I wouldn't get myself hurt or in danger. Even though I was very rebellious, I would be at a length. I would be far further away from him. I mean, I did have a bad childhood. Not terrible. I wasn't beaten daily, right? I mean, but if I did something, my dad would smack me or it wasn't good. Well, you um, said you were the oldest of how many? Before, and but my youngest sister is was born with brain damage. So I was I was the only child until I was five. And then my sister, my mother got pregnant with my sister and my, my dad took me up from Atlanta where we were living to Milwaukee to stay with my grandparents. Not a good psychological move, but he didn't feel, I don't know what he felt, um, but he didn't feel I could live where I was living. So after that time, I was on my own. Um, they did come and pick me up, but by that time they had two more kids. And I lived with my grandparents and I had a home with my grandparents. It's kind of like Heidi. I always felt like Heidi. That book, Heidi, meant everything to me. Yeah, that's interesting. And so with your um, independence and sort of navigation of individuality at a young age and this desire to embody these stories and become these people plus with your instinct it sounds like a perfect way to create an alchemy of expression I think so. yeah. and i was free I, I i had no parental supervision none i did what i wanted to do i went where i wanted to went all i had to do was steal money off my dad's dresser and i could do and go anywhere um because the buses were on the corner. Um, I, I'm, nobody was afraid of me getting killed or raped or anything, you know? Um, and so I, I explored everything all the time. I had no religion, but I would go to churches because I thought they were pretty. <laughs> you portraying a mother, you know, in somebody somewhere as Mary Jo, MJ, so much embodiment in that character of having very childlike qualities and yet very interdependent with her husband Mm -hmm. in the show. You know, they have this very connected relationship, Ed. MJ and Ed are like intertwined and very codependent and loving. They kind of parent each other in some ways. And we've, in the show, we've been together, I mean, in the, in the, in the given circumstances, we've been together since grade school. We yeah. Each other all those years. And he is, we're both a rock for each other. 
Right. Uh, he's a rock to keep me from just flying up into outer space because I am still a child. Um, yeah, I felt that quality. Ways. I did. I felt that quality. And it wasn't just the alcoholism no. element. There was something else about MJ that was yes. very childlike. Right. Well, I think, I mean, I don't really create characters myself. I simply respond to the other people and the given circumstances from my own perspective. And uh, so I don't, I wouldn't, uh, I couldn't tell you uh, where that came from. But I remember I have a line in one of the shows, why is everybody always picking on me? Yes. And that was for me, oh, I see. But it wasn't like, it was after I was working. It wasn't before. I'm very, um, well, I understand the craft of acting without any problem, but I don't need it anymore. Yeah. How did you get into that show? How did you get cast for that show? Well, it was very strange. For MJ, you're perfect for her. Well, I was the first person cast outside of Bridget. Um, at least that's what they told me. Yeah. And I was in uh, Philadelphia, actually. I don't know. We were visiting somebody or uh, that's what I think we were doing. And uh, my agent called. I have an agent in Chicago. And uh, he called. He said, there's this thing. You want to audition for it? I said, sure. They said, well, you'll have to tape in your at your hotel. So I did. You know, my husband held the cell phone and <laughs> um, <laughs> I taped and sent it off. It wasn't much. I mean, it was like five lines, maybe. And I just forgot about it as as a professional, you tend to forget about these things. You lay it down, you leave it. And then about a month later, I get a call that I got the role. And I, I've got, I have no idea what it was. Uh, great, wonderful. So I'll tell a little wonderful story. I um, So I had to go out to wardrobe because we were gonna shoot about a week later. And you know, they always get your costumes and your sizes. So I went out to this hotel and um, went up to the desk and I said, hi, I where's wardrobe? And the desk clerk said, oh, I think they're around there. So I started walking and then a woman stood up and she said, hi, Jane. And I thought, oh, dear, is this a student I don't remember anymore? I forgot. Hi, how are you? You know how you do when you're not <laughs> sure? Yeah. And then they all stood up, the writers and the director and Bridget, they all stood up and said, hi, we're so glad you're here. And I thought, oh, these must be them because I'd never seen any of them, never knew any of them. And they said, we're so glad you're here. You're the first person that we cast. We think you're wonderful, blah, 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 blah. It was the most, um, it was just unbelievable to me. I wanted to, I sat down on the sofa and I wanted to fall into it and go through it. I was so kind of embarrassed. And yeah, it feels, it feels so seamless and natural. And there, you know, I mean, I have to say this show, is so brilliant in the storytelling and in the writing. One of the best in decades in terms of describing the nuance and complexity of yes. relationships. Well, I think that's where we really, really exist is that they allow the relationships, which is what creates character, how yes. people relate to one another. I think they allow it to be as, as, as multifaceted yes. as it can be. And so moments, so many moments between you and um, Sam, 
uh, of love and compassion and anger and confusion and Trish, same thing right. you, you, between you and Ed, moments that just breathe and breathe and breathe that there's something so simple happening and yet everything is unspoken and known. Yes, and I think it's a lot of it's got to got to go to the credit of of um, the director Jay Duplass um, and of course Bridget who produces directs and stars not easy for her and the general feeling on the set that the way we shoot it we don't go in with a shooting script per se we go in knowing what room we're going to be in or where we're going to be and then we just do the scene without any direction and then the director shoots that scene maybe with a modification for could you move over here so that the camera works this way and we always shoot two cameras so there's always two different angles shooting one time I remember I was in my in the room where I'm where he's coming up to pick when she's coming to pick me up from the from the home the poor the poor camera woman who is about six foot tall and she's rather heavy. She had to sit in the bathtub in the, in the little bitty bathroom to shoot that scene. And, before, and they, every, before they take you to Kansas, before they take you to that other place. I think so. Yeah. I don't remember all that much, but uh, remember I'm, I'm only in it. I only shot for seven days total. You feel like such a piece of that show, like the fabric you're, you, you're, the energy of that character permeates, I think, just in the grief of losing a daughter and for Sam to lose Yeah, and mm. the losing of, you know, for Sam losing a sister. And, you know, in all fairness, it's interesting. I had seen Bridget Everett's stand-up and her stand-up stuff is so vastly different. Raunchy. It is, but her, the way she carries herself and the nuance and complexity of her own character, I was blown away at how deep and how talented she well, it is her was. life story. Yes. And and uh, she hasn't acted long enough to get, develop bad habits. She just goes in and does the scene. And I think that's brilliant of her. And I wrote her because there's a scene where we're, she's sitting on the bed talking to me and I'm talking to her right before they take me out of one of wherever I am. And all I had to do was look into her eyes, her big blue eyes, and I would just start crying because she was so open and so beautiful and needy that I didn't know acting is required. Acting would just get in the way of it. You know, uh, yeah. I think acting gets in the way of a lot of things. People believe they have to be different or they have to create or, and I don't really feel it that way. I think you're right when you say embody. I think that's the truth. Yeah. And it feels like the loss of the character, Ed, Mike Haggerty was also present in a very kind and thoughtful way. In well, we haven't of- shot since then. Yeah, he, he died. Uh, oh, no, we did. We did. Yeah. As I recall, now we did. They uh, had he went uh, off on a cruise. <laughs> yes, he did with his brother. Yes, <laughs> he yeah. went off on a cruise. And that was a lovely way, I thought, to give him 
the recognition in that scene when they're in the barn, they're cleaning out the barn for the wedding. Yes. Use that space was so tender and lovely and beautiful. Have you watched the show since? Yes. Okay. How is it to watch it all come together and see it flow? Are you like in it as the participant or in it as the observer or both? I'm an observer. Yeah. My, I put my director hats on. I do as much directing as I do acting, or I used to. And and so I'm I'm just watching it. Um, and I find it it it's very um entrancing to me. I can really move into it. And I love that it's set in Midwest, in Nowhereville, with people who don't have any money, but who still are happy. I, I think that the uh, dealing with all the gay issues is amazingly wonderful, yes. especially setting it in a small town. I think I'm I'm so proud to be a part of that because in small towns, you would think, oh, there are no gay people here or they're not allowed to be here. And so I'm I'm um, I'm so proud. Well, in Ed's moment of need, his pride turns to Fred. Mm-hmm. That was so amazing in his like darkest place when he can't open up to anybody. He's so private. Right. He opens up to Fred and Fred becomes the one that helps pick up the pieces for the land and for, you know, helping ensure that Ed's prized uh, life's work is protected. Yes. Yes. And also the, I think the the underlying spirituality of the show and the underlying religiosity of the show, um, the the constant uh, understanding that people in these places, and I'm not one of them, but people in smaller places, the church is is like the center. Yeah, the character of Joel really does show how faith is something felt as he grapples and struggles and so beautiful how he is thoughtful and questioning his own values of faith and where how that shows up I thought that was beautiful and I don't think any other shows deal with those issues and I hope to god I'm in the third season you know so that I can be in it I don't know (laughs) they may just leave me Wichita and make it the Bridget and Jeff show yeah I don't remember their character names Sam and Joel Yes, Sam and Joel. Well, what other shows, are there other types of genres or shows or storytelling that you find you're watching? Because on one hand, with streaming services now, there's a million things out there. And on the other hand, there's a lot of crap out there too. But some interesting things that uh, that show up from time to time um, that are relation-based stories. I'm a succession junkie. I think the acting on that show is so amazing. Yeah. It's about rich people. I will watch it. Um, I think that um, I don't, I I watch mostly British TV because the actors are better. They're not chosen for how they look normally. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Right. So I, I watch a lot of British television and I don't watch a lot of dramatic television. I watch a lot of cooking shows and you watch Bridgerton. No, I didn't like it. Okay, that's okay. I, I didn't was like curious. it. It's American, right? Yeah, and yeah, I was I like curious, it. like you know that it, it it's it's candy basically. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like the voices, 
I didn't yeah, like the way it sounded and I didn't believe it. I'm sorry, I didn't believe a black character of uh, upper status in that day and time. I know the story of Thomas Jefferson and his love, his maid, his slave. And believe me, he didn't have a good and easy way of it with her. And I don't, I just think, I don't like messing with history to that degree. And I believe in cross-cultural casting, but when you're doing historical novel or historical piece, and you're telling a lie about how black people were treated, I'm not sure that's good for America. I don't think that's good for the country. Interesting. Well, I mean, I think the only two shows that I've really watched and studied, well, there's three shows I've watched and studied and watched repeatedly. Uh, Somebody Somewhere, Reservation Dogs. On Which I haven't gotten to see yet. Oh, stunning yes. writing. And um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think Amy Sherman Palladino is a master at writing. I've got to crap. try it again. I've got to try it again. It just, oh. it was fine. I didn't dislike it. Just but, you know, I had a problem with rich people. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But but rich you know, reservation dogs, you'll like then because reservation right. dogs all about, you know, kids growing up on the reservation. Right, I know. Well, I'm, you know, I don't know why I'm so prejudiced. I mean, God knows I'd like to be a rich person. I'm not by <laughs> any stretch. Uh, but but I, I just have difficulty with people whose problems seem to me after my life to have been very minor. Yeah, and that makes that makes sense. And you also have a very um, you're an actor's teacher and a teacher's actor. You're somebody who likes to help pull others up through the art and craft and to connect to those. And so I wanted to talk about your books because it feels like you're setting people up for the success, not for the wealth or riches of the craft but the actual what you had said the actor's business plan was one book creating a satisfying career and a happy life for actors right so what does that mean to you well acting actors tend to um believe that if they're around if they just sit and wait something might happen yeah that they have to be with the right agent or have the right look or I mean, they have, it's a lot of fantasy about the life of an actor. And a lot of uh, my students would say, well, you can't plan an acting career. Well, if you don't, you're going to meet with a problem. And so my thought was, how do I help actors save themselves and chart through really choppy waters? How can I get them to move through? Because it may not be their time yet. They may be too young to, as I always say to them, to be who they are. There are some people who will, from my perspective, not really be marketable until they're 30 or 40. I mean, that's just a part of it. Seem antithetical to what the industry tells you, the younger, the better, the more beautiful. I think that would be hard. Well, that would be television. To believe. That would be television and okay. it would be hype. Okay. For every beautiful woman or beautiful man, there's always their friends and their cousins and their uncles and their aunts. And I think there's a problem in this day and age with the difference between acting and stardom. Right. And I, I had never wanted to be a star and I never wanted my students to be stars. It's a different 
path. Uh, you know, people make money in acting without the trajectory of stardom. Well, I did a lot of commercials. I did a lot of voiceovers. I did a lot of theater for which I was paid. Um, I did. I mean, I didn't even start doing film or television till I was 30 ish. Um, I just didn't. uh, I was a theater kid. So I did musical theater, I did sang in nightclubs, I did all kinds of things that were performing. And I never even considered going to Los Angeles. And you had a fulfilling career and a fulfilling life at that point? Oh yeah, much better than it had I gone. I did go there for a good friend of mine, Linda Kelsey was there and she was doing the, she had her own show and then she she was on the Mary Tyler Moore show and you know Lou Grant show and all of that. And so I went out there to stay with her and I just felt that the business was ugly and rotten. And I, and I have this strong ethical problem <laughs> that I didn't want to be a part of that. I didn't think it was worth the trade. I, if, you, if you really had to want to be on television to do it, and I didn't really want to be on television. I wanted to act. And that those are slightly separate things and I, I um, when we were out there and I was finally, I'll tell you another story. I know this is not a, too long, but what the hell? You're fine. We're good. <laughs> oh, I was, um, I, I had an agent. When I went out there, Linda Kelsey introduced me to her agent and I had an agent and I was, uh, everything I auditioned for, I got. And I, then I also did, uh, I auditioned for a play that was being produced by Gene Stapleton uh, who was on All in the Family. She played yes, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and they were producing it. And I had the lead in that play and everybody in, everybody in Los Angeles came to see it. And I got great reviews and that was lovely. And while I, I was sitting backstage one day thinking, this is just like picking up gold off the floor because I'm just doing what I always do. And yet people are paying me more than I've ever seen. I do. Or to do it, and I and and so I I was doing that show, and then I yeah, and then I got other things, and then my agent retired, and I couldn't get another agent, and I went to an I went to a to interview with an agency, and they wouldn't take me, and I said, why won't you take me? What's the problem? I get what I auditioned for. Here's the here's my credits. I decent credits. And they said, oh, no, we're looking for this. And they went into the back room and they brought out a picture of somebody who looked like Farrah Fawcett. And I said, well, <laughs> yeah, but that's she not left your white wet T-shirt at home. That yeah. day. Right, and right. <laughs> and I was always little and chunky and don't have great teeth. And I was no great beauty. I mean, I'm a pretty woman. I don't have a problem oh. saying that. But but it was it was just astonishing to me. And so then I went to another place where the casting director, they were casting um, Private Benjamin as a TV show. And I thought if there was ever a show that I should be on, it's that. And every girl in my acting class had been read for it, but I didn't have an agent. So I said, well, I'll just go and sit there and wait until the casting director comes back from lunch. I kind of looked around to see when she's. And I'll be sitting in the lobby and then I'll go in and read. And I went, I sat in the lobby and I, she came in, the casting director came in and she said, um, who are you waiting for? Why are you here? And I said, I'm here to read for Private Benjamin. And she said, well, do you have an appointment? Who's your agent? I said, 
no, I don't have an agent, but I would really like to read for it. And she said, I'm sorry, we don't see unrepresented talent. And she went and slammed the door on me. I sat there completely discouraged. And there was a receptionist sitting just on a desk, just across from me. And she said to me, and she was smoking and she had all of this candy, this hair up to here all and too much makeup on. And she said, oh, honey, don't worry. I used to be just like you. And I went home and that was when I said to my husband, honey, we're moving because I'm not doing this. I can't handle this. I couldn't handle the, the simple meanness. A dehumanizing business. For yes. Sure. I said to my, 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 my teacher, Michael Shirtleff said, Jane, don't let that discourage you. You stick around here for five years and they're not going to want anything but you. And I said to him, if I stick around here for five years, there will be nothing left of me because it, uh, my soul couldn't take it. My ethics couldn't take it. My, my belief in how people should behave. I couldn't handle that. Well, you seems that you got really the golden egg of fortune in this cast and these writers and the talent oh, did I ever. for this show because they all seem so passionate and dedicated and committed to the meaning of the storytelling. And I'm wondering what's changed for you after now that you've been part of this commercially successful show where you have had a lot of visibility and you know it's not as it's not a a 50 seat theater right so how have things changed since the show for you internally individually personally um golly that's a great question i thank you um i i have a little regret that i didn't put more out there on the other hand, I think I put out there as much as I could before I was eaten alive. Um, I have loved teaching. Teaching is as much fun to me as acting. Easy, maybe more, maybe more fun. I'm with you. Because when I'm when I'm acting, it's so it's like nothing. I it, people ask me about it. it's like nothing. It's just like talking to Bridget. It's not. Um, it's no longer something that I worry about or that I need to access skills for or, or anything. Um, I think the things that I've been teaching all these years have been so interpolated in me that I don't need to worry about it. I also, acting is basically thinking images different than the ones you may normally have. Got it. So as a writer, you probably understand that the image keeps growing. You start with an image of a red wagon or whatever, and then finally you're in the Indianapolis 500, right? If you're it, open and free. If yeah. you're open and free, if you allow it, yes. It, and I always think of it as just surrender. It takes humility and courage to act. The humility to do only what you can do. And the courage to let that stand. And well, I'm living in Portland, right? And so I'm not near anything. And so my, I have several thoughts about that because I, I do need the money. I'm not getting any younger. Um, and so I was thinking I can go and live in LA for a little while. I've got a friend who's got a house there with no problem. 
but frankly, I think I should move to New York and live in New York because that's the kind of actor I am. Um, I don't want to do stage anymore. I just I tried doing a show recently, a two woman show, and I just couldn't get into it. I just could. It did. It. I. It, I didn't want to do it. I wasn't crazy about the script, and I got COVID, and so I was able to back out uh, easily. The one with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin was good enough. Grace and Frankie. I thought it was good. You know, it 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 brought some issues forward, but the Kaminsky method. Yes, uh, that was an interesting show because yeah. that did show that that to me was a little more authentic in the storytelling about the experience. Right. But I could see how you could create something if it's not being done, then you create it, girl, because you are talented. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, 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 I have a one woman show based on my grandmother's hat that I was thinking of expanding. Uh, she was a suffragist back in 1908. 1909. Your gifts uh, keep giving. I mean, I think as a teacher, all the students, all the people that you've encountered, all the ways that you've tried to uh, create with your other books, which we didn't talk about the other book, Acting, Archetype, and Neuroscience, um, where you describe how um, using neuroscience for directors and performers, it feels like things like that, that are so meaningful and substantive will live on and outlast whatever the cotton candy flair is of the moment, right? Right, I think, I also think that, you know, um, the thing that we don't think about and don't talk about the neuroscience of, of, of it all, uh, has to do with everything that actors and audiences share. Memory, images, um, story, uh, archetypal story, archetypal characters in those stories, because there's only six relationships and 36 plots. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. And when I tell that to my students, they get, they kind of get released. Yeah. And be you in expressing whatever those 36 things are. If there is a you, see, I'm not even sure there's a you, right? Use yourself. I always say, use yourself. Don't be yourself. Right. That's, that's really interesting. Well, the be self, be self means that you've manufactured something. Correct. There is something. And I don't know that there is, you know, I read enough philosophy and science that the idea of a self is floats. (laughs) I am the voice that talks to myself in my head. That's about it. Right. In my writing, teaching, uh, retreat, leading, guiding work that I do, I call it the you-ness because I don't know what else to call it. It's not the self or the spirit because even the self and the spirit has a mental relationship of what we identify and believe to be true about those things, which bypasses any actual fertility of what's there to unearth. Yes. To release. Yes. I think that's for me, it's all about surrender, humility, release. It's never about creativity or building or like Michael, uh, what's his name? Stanislavski's book called Building a Character. It's like, that's way more than I would ever hope to do. I could release one because everything's trapped in you. Correct. There, but for the grace of God, go you. So it's, it's really believing in those given circumstances and those images that you borrow for a while 
and being emotionally open, I think that's of course important. If if you're not, I don't take actors who can express themselves as humans. You know, sometimes it's just too late. I've had dentists come to me who have been dentists for 40 years and I can't bring them out. I can't release that. They've kept it in so long, it's stuck. Plaque. <laughs> yes, he likes plaque. Yeah, yeah. And, and use the dental pun. Sorry. <laughs> I love that. With it. And the, the masks that we wear in our lives get stuck <laughs> on our faces if we wear them too long. You and know, that I reminds me of the Twilight Zone episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Remember that one where there's like a family, they're gathering at midnight and he dies and he wants them to wear the masks before midnight. And then when they take the masks off, you should Google this episode. Their faces are shaped like the masks. They become. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so I try as a person to have as few masks as possible. And I try to unmask my students. And a lot of them have a mom mask on, which is very hard to get off, right? Because it implies a certain amount of watchfulness, a lack of childishness, a lot of stuff that actors need to be children. And the more of those corporate masks, parental masks, those things, hard, very difficult. Which circles back to that moment when MJ is acting out like a child and says, everybody's picking on me. And, you know, it was so pure in that moment of um, feeling so vulnerable and inconsequential and unimportant and yet so innocent and wanting to be loved. Well, the, the girls love their father, but not me in the play, in the movie, in whatever it is, in the show. I, I, it's, uh, I'm jealous of him, but I'm his first daughter, so. I mean, you know, in a way, um, but they're just crazy about him and not me at all. And my first line in the scene, the show is, why, are you, why do you always have to criticize everything I do to my daughter? Yeah, well, I want to um, thank you for just being you out in the world and teaching and creating and helping other actors achieve their expression and greatness and fulfillment beyond just oh, Jana we have to mention some of my students yes please do let's mention some of your students Jane Michael Shannon okay is up for uh an academy award is it for George and Tammy okay and then T.R. Knight on um Grey's Anatomy um uh, I've got so many. And right now I can't think of them when I said to you, let's talk about my students. Um, I've, I've just, I've got tons of them that are doing brilliantly well. And you teach them about technique, about exploration, about process, about all of it. I give them some tips. I give them a roadmap to follow if they get lost. I don't fix what's not broken. Um, I even took Michael Shannon into my class uh, when I was teaching in Chicago because I didn't want anybody messing with him. You, you know, you have a certain amount of God-given talent and he had like 15 cups and I didn't want anybody to mold him or fix him. Um, and I think that's true of most of the actors that I'm responsible for, in love with, adore. 
uh, that uh, it's really staying out of their way, let them mature, and then say, why don't you go over here rather than there? You know, because there are certain, don't make that choice, it's not going to lead you anywhere. Make this choice, it's going to lead you somewhere. But it's really so, uh, I can teach beginning acting, I have taught beginning acting, mostly it's improv, and I, that's my major form of teaching is through improvisation. I would love to experience that sometime just to see what that that's about. If you ever wanted to trade a session for a session and I could take you through some writing that's oh, that'd be lovely. antithetical to what most people teach about writing, but I have never acted. I know nothing, but I would be so curious about what improv brings up and unleashes and how it brings someone out I just to see what that is I'm just curious wouldn't that be fun I would love to do that all right we'll we had a group it has you can't do it alone it's got to be like four or five people that's fine yeah I'll do I'll, you can pair me up with whoever you're doing or I'll find a couple people I'm just if you curious. find people I'll come up there and do it with you all right we're gonna do it I would love to do that the other thing that I'm thinking of doing is creating a a class for people who are my age or a little younger, a little older, who are losing their memory and helping them to train their memory in new ways. That is beautiful. That's what I'm focusing on right now. And I've studied the science of memory, which is not very good right now. It's still pretty much up for grabs. Uh, but I do know how to help people remember. Be and I'm going to keep going on uh, because. When actors forget something, the reason they forget is because the image is not strongly implanted enough in their back brain, in the amygdala. It's not sensory enough. And That's it's fabulous. That's really beautiful. I would love to help with that. If there was any way I could help yeah, Jana. storytelling by embedding the images of reflection, contemplation, and connection to story and feeling. That is what I found ignites people to. Yes. Yes. And you don't remember. I'm right there with you. <laughs> and you need emotion to remember. Yes, you do. Without emotion, it's not going to go into the hard drive. It's going to stay in the front drive. And so um, I think I, I'm going to do that within the next three or four months, I think, that memory very thing. Very exciting. That's very exciting. You're amazing. Oh, and thank I'm you. so grateful that we had a chance to talk about who you are, what you love, what you're amazing at. Is there anything else that you want to share before we venture off into the wilderness? Um, no, I don't. No, I, I'm, I'm just happy to have been here. And I love being interviewed by you. It was really fun. You listened you. beautifully. Uh, I've been interviewed you. before where nobody's listening at all. Oh, no, I love it. I love to listen. And you, there's a lot to hear and you have a lot to share and a lot of wisdom. And so I want people to know that Jane Drake Brody is uh, a coach. Oh, 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 Jenna. Yes. yes. I'm available for Zoom coaching. Yes. So she is available for Zoom coaching. She is an author she is a teacher. She is a consultant. She's been a casting director. She is an actor of the theater and television and a teacher and a mentor and a friend, I'm sure, to a lot of people. So 
Um, Jane Drake Brody is worth checking out. And <laughs> if you're thinking of even exploring something acting just as like I discovered I want to do an improv class. Yeah. It would be worth exploring. I think everybody out there who's curious about expression and what that means to self-awareness and um, just expression, right? We just want to well, get and, it out there. And also everybody in the United States should have to take an acting class for about a year because then they will develop empathy, which seems to be lacking in today's society. I love that. So how, can, how can people get a hold of you? Just my email, jbrody845 at gmail, 845, my August of 45, jbrody845 at gmail.com. Okay, and listen, I want to say that you were so gracious to respond to my email because I, I just emailed you and you responded. So um, thank you for all that you do. And we're going to look forward to seeing thank you. so much more of you. Thanks for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. If now's the time to unearth your story or you just have to write that book, don't let fear or overwhelm stop you. Reach out. I'm here to help you achieve your creative writing dreams. If you've enjoyed what you've heard on this show, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. Hey, reach out. Find me at janalopez.com. Hey.